Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us in this episode of Taking the Road Less Traveled Through a Disrupted World with David Irvin and myself, Allie Stone. Our intent in this podcast is to have open-hearted, real conversations about our authentic journey through this disrupted time in our world. And we also feel that what we learn from this journey will be able to apply to an emerging new world when we come out the other side. In our commitment to make a difference to difference makers, we want to use this podcast to explore what's happening in this time in our lives, and as well as what's happening in the lives of those of you who are committed to making a difference, making a difference the authentic way. Now, David's mission is to connect leaders to their authentic selves which inspires and enables them to have a meaningful impact on their organizations, communities, and even their families. David says leadership at its core is about influence and it has nothing to do with our titles or the letters behind our names or even the sizes of our offices. Leadership is about the capacity to inspire others to action. It truly is about making a difference. And Allie Stone has joined me on this journey as she has a deep understanding of what it means to lead authentically. She has spent the last 15 years of her career exploring what caring leadership looks like and how organizations can be built from the heart and still be truly successful. For Allie, leadership is life. She believes anything involving human connection is all interconnected in the experience of living. And she is passionate about working with other leaders who are inspired to create something similar. It is her belief that sharing her lessons will help other leaders gain deeper insights and understanding as to the infinite possibility that lies ahead for each of us when we connect with our hearts. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here for another week of the Other Everest. Uh, myself, Ali Stone, and David Irvin, we're so excited to be here with you. We're so Always so honored to get to spend this time with you all and uh, just get to connect. Um, yeah, and we just, we, we love these conversations. So uh, we were talking a little bit about where we were gonna go with today's podcast. And um, we have a interesting topic <laughs> that has come up and this actually um, kind of spun out of another podcast. And um, we wanna talk a little bit about trauma today. Uh, and one of the things that I was saying to Dave is trauma is very interesting because for some reason, a lot of times um, us as human beings, we want to discount the trauma we have suffered. So I want to start by saying I understand why we do it as kids because I actually don't think we have the mental emotional capacity to handle. And so I understand children survive. So I understand that part of it. But I don't understand why we do it as adults. <laughs> and so I think it's very interesting and I'd like to dive a little into it because I know Dave will have some very interesting insight. Um, let me just open up the floor to Dave. Hey, it's nice to see you today. Thanks for being here. <laughs> it's always great, Allie. It's always great. And we never quite know what's going to come out of this. It's very interesting because we started the intention a couple of days ago. What, what we're going to do on our podcast is talk about caring. Mm -hmm. and compassion and we're moving into the holiday season 
And we're also moving into, in this country, as in many countries and parts of the country, we're moving into more and more lockdowns. We're, you know, with this COVID situation. Um, and so we're going to be more and more restricted over the holiday seasons to make connections that are so important for all of us and rituals that are so important for all of us. And so I find it very fascinating that we would bring up the notion of trauma because there's been all kinds of triggers for me in the last nine months um, of the understanding that sometimes trauma feels bigger than it is because we haven't dealt with previous traumas. And I think that we, and, and I'm, just, I'm just curious about the relationship between what's going on in the world right now and the triggering of traumas. I mean, you're on the verge of having to shut down the stores, mm -hmm. um, just not knowing where all that is. Well, what gets triggered? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, I think that this is a really important time to pay attention to trigger points, because when things get triggered, there's an opportunity from an authenticity perspective for some growth in that area, to go deeper into that, to go further into that. And it's a little counter to what the world teaches, because what the world would teach is let's just avoid it. Let's avoid dying. Let's avoid trauma. And partly that's why we don't resolve stuff as a kid and partly I completely concur we just don't have the ability sometimes as a child to process that stuff but our brains get conditioned to run away from trauma and to avoid it and to think that there's something wrong with me if I actually experience trauma if I actually experience what I'm going through the world says there's something wrong with us and so this is about bringing compassion for ourselves, for the people we care about, for the people on our teams, for the people in our organizations, uh, in our lives, to just allow people to be where they are. But I think from an authentic, authenticity perspective, what's important for the focus of this session today would be to just give ourselves permission to acknowledge when trauma surfaces. Because I... You know, there's lots of research that would suggest that if trauma happens to us, and you know, as, as I come back to Theo Fleury, who said, if we were raised, if we were raised in a family, we had trauma. It's <laughs> it's part of our upbringing. It's part of our experience. So let's bring it out into the open, acknowledge it in constructive ways, and let's support each other right now to do the best we can to heal from it. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, acknowledging trauma is one of the most beautiful acts of self-care that you can give for yourself because when you deny the trauma that you've been through you're only creating walls and layers around um, that access to your own authentic being to your heart and your soul and who you are and so the more we deny the trauma that's happened in our lives the further away we get from who we truly and authentically are so I think it's really important to recognize that that it's, and authenticity isn't the easy path. <laughs> we don't ever sit here and say that, <laughs> you know, it's challenging. And sometimes we have to face our demons and trauma is, you know, kind of one of our demons. And, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about a potential lockdown, today is going to be very telling about what uh, happens in Alberta. And, um, you know, I was even experiencing a little bit of trigger yesterday because I remember March 17th of this year, 
literally like laying on the floor in my office, being unable to breathe, knowing that I was going to have to lay all those people off and that I didn't know if our businesses were going to survive. And, and, and so if we go into another lockdown today, I'm, I'm, I'm more confident, but it doesn't make it any better. <laughs> and so I'm still, I'm having those body feelings. I don't feel great today. I'm a little on edge. I feel like, so I have to be aware of that today too, in my interactions, because um, it's important also, some, it's also sometimes important that we lead, <laughs> right? And today's a day that I'm going to need to lead. So, but talking about trauma, uh, you know, when you talk about trauma, there's always a situation that I always remember um, and a little story that I think I, I could share with you, then, then we can kind of dissect it and pick it apart a little bit. But um, so when Chris and I, Chris and I for years and years have gone to Boston um, to run, he runs the marathon. So this is a highly competitive marathon. You have to qualify for it. It's a big deal. Uh, I think he ran it seven or eight years, like quite a few years. And so obviously we were there the year the bombings happened in Boston. Now Chris is a fairly fast marathon runner and he crossed the finish line at two hours and 35 minutes. So, um, you know, those bombs went off at like two hours and 49 minutes or two hours and 55. I can't remember exactly, but we were gone. So let me back this up a little bit. Boston's a really special city. So going there for this marathon is an incredible experience. So if anybody's listening and they're thinking of training for Boston, this is a remarkable experience. The entire city gets behind this marathon so you get there and you know you go and you buy your <laughs> marathon jacket or like afterwards you wear your medal around everybody in the city stops to congratulate you there's this like sense of community so this tragedy happening at this race was really traumatic for like it like an entire city and uh i i always every year i have always stood at the same spot and watched chris and so it's it's uh on the final street up just off Newberry Street and it's right where the second bombs went off. And I've always stood there every year. And this year in particular, when I was there, um, I was with a bunch of military wives and they were telling me the stories about their husbands and one of their husbands was running this marathon in gear. And anyway, so we had this amazing morning full of connection. Obviously Chris kind of comes through first and these ladies are all cheering him on with me. And I say goodbye to them and I leave them. I'm, I'm kind of sad. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to see them again. Like, that was awesome. They were so beautiful. I love these people. And that's sometimes the beauty of connection with people is that it is fleeting. But so anyway, we went and I went and I met Chris at the finish line. And we walked two blocks uh, just on the other side of Boston Common. And we went to a little place for brunch. Now, as we're in there, obviously these bombs go off on the finish line, cell phones are jammed, everything just kind of stops in the area and we don't really realize, like the people in the restaurant don't even really realize. They're still serving food, like nothing's really, nothing, it's just this tiny little place. And so we finish our meal, we pay, we walk outside and all we see is like apocalypse. So there's like, marathon runners you know when you finish the marathon you kind of put on this space <laughs> space suit you know they give you that blanket and you know everybody when people finish a marathon they're excited they're getting their cell phones out of their bags they're trying to find their families and there was none of that you know people were holding their cell phones up to the sky just trying to get a signal there was people sitting on the side of the street crying there was 
it was just, it was mayhem. And we were like, what is going on? And then we realized something really bad had happened and we didn't, we didn't know. And in retrospect, we did hear the bomb go off. Um, it even shook the building a little bit, but we thought it was like construction or something, you know, like you just, you don't even think that that's what that would be. So anyways, a long story short, we, we're lucky, right? We're not there. Um, you know, and it takes me a couple hours to realize that that second bomb went off right where I was standing and that I kind of left these women standing there. And I don't know, I don't know, right? I will never know what happened to these ladies and if they were okay. And it was really traumatic. And so we get back to our hotel room and uh, even getting into our hotel room was a whole, you know, everything was on lockdown and we find ourselves we were staying at the at the Taj, which is right on the corner of the finish line. So we're in like ground zero this year. And uh, we had splurged for this nice hotel room and it turns into like a military <laughs> military uh, base. And so basically what happened was um, I was sitting in our room and all of these school buses started pulling up Newberry Street. So it's uh, Newberry Street. And I can't remember the main street where the marathon comes down, but basically side by side streets in Boston. And so my window's out on Newberry and it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of school buses. They open the door, fully geared military, machine guns, thousands of them start hitting the streets. It was like and at that point, I'm starting to like be like, okay, this is like really, really, really crazy. And they can't obviously can't find these kids if you know the whole story. But and and Chris keeps saying we're safe, it's okay, you know, like we're lucky. We we need to be grateful. And 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 I get that. <laughs> and I get that. Um, and I'm really trying to like lean into that. So the next year. <laughs> you know, I kind of, I kind of get through it and we just kind of move on and we, we, we go on with our lives. And the next year we go back and the morning of the race, I wake up and I'm instantly back in that day, a year ago. And I'm alone in a hotel room and I'm going to meet Chris and I'm starting to feel the panic rise. And then I'm walking down Newberry and I can just feel it all. Like I'm just, and I'm like, okay, Ellie, like calm down. Like there's no way this is going to happen a second time. All of these things. But I turn this corner on Newberry Street to go over to the main street. And I'm like out of habit walking back to exactly where I stand every year. And I walk up and I stand there and I just, I, I just started crying. Like <laughs> I just started crying and I turned around and I looked and there was like, uh, obviously like the little monument with all the flowers and it was like it was a lot I made myself stay though and I made myself stay and feel the feelings and um, it was very interesting because I had this incredible experience of other people coming up to me and hugging me <laughs> and telling me that it would be okay and people from Boston coming and apologizing and telling me you know like thanking me for coming back and just yeah you could just you could just feel this uh so sometimes trauma creates this really cool situation but anyhow I had this trauma had happened and I was so grateful that I was okay I was away from the finish line nothing happened to Chris nothing happened to any of our friends running the race so I I tried to pretend like it was okay 
but that's not okay. <laughs> and I guess, I guess that's my point of the story today. And I had to kind of learn that and it took me some time. Um, and it still kind of wells up in me, like me telling you this story right now, I'm still kind of like emotional about it. And so one more piece to this story that's kind of cool. Um, I didn't use social media a lot at that time. So these ladies had tried to find me. They were okay. And one of them did find me on Facebook and she messaged me a year later and said, I just, I just want to let you know that we all got out of there in time and that we're okay. And I remember like getting that message and just sobbing, <laughs> right? Like sobbing my eyes out. And um, cause you just never know. Right. And uh, I think even if we don't know, we still have to figure out some way to like work through that trauma when those things happen. So, so that's my story about trauma. So I, I would love to hear your reflections on that and your thoughts about, about that experience too. Well, it, it, it leaves me a bit speechless. I'm, I'm very touched by it. Um, on so many fronts. What do I say about that? I think the thing that probably comes most to my mind is this stuff stays in our bodies. This is trauma. And I loved how you described revisiting the site the next year. It's like when I got thrown off of a horse and the old cowboys, as tough as they are, they say, you know, you got to get back in the saddle because you have to make sure that your brain doesn't get conditioned to, to withdrawing from something very difficult. But, you know, it's these, these things, if we don't stay with them and work them through, and as you say, are open compassionately to the, to the pain. Like you say, you, let al you allowed yourself to cry when you got this note that these women were okay. You went back to the scene and rather than just pushing it aside, you allowed it to be there and allow it to come out of your body because it's in there. And if we keep pushing it down, we'll, we'll lose the joy in life. We'll lose the connection in life. We'll lose the ability to what we call lead authentically because we won't come from a real place. And so when we have something triggered like the pandemic and all of a sudden our reaction is bigger than what feels like our circumstances are. It's just an indication that that trauma is moving through us. It's old stuff coming through us. And somehow or other, there's no magic formula except acceptance yeah. and allowing it to come through. And yes, we have to then turn and lead with composure. But my experience is you don't lead with composure by pushing that trauma away, but by allowing it to come up, having a supportive community and a process and our own confidants, if you will, to share that with so that then we can go to our team and be real. It doesn't mean that we have to go to our team and fall apart and fall on the floor in a fetal position, even though we may do that privately or with another person. But when we look after ourselves privately, then we can go publicly to our team in a real way. And this is one of the reasons, Ali, I've always admired you and respect your work and respect your capacity to, to connect with people 
because you stay so connected to yourself through experiences like this. Uh, number one, you went back to Boston. Number two, though, which is even more important, you went back to the same place and you allowed the emotions to come up and you allowed them to come through you because you allowed them to come through you. This is what makes you real. And so this is a season of compassion through this crazy pandemic. We are experiencing stuff we've never experienced and we're being triggered by old stuff, probably in ways that we never have before. Mm-hmm. And it's about honor, you know, the authentic journey that you and I teach in our work is about honoring that yeah. and allowing it to come up and creating a supportive community around us of close knit friends, even if it's done through technology. I mean, think of the support we've been to each other the last few months through the, you know, we haven't seen each other face to face in person rather, but we have been together. The technology can be a great tool, even the tool of social media. This is the value of what technology can do for us. You connected with those women that you were there at the race with through technology. And that was a healing experience. So. What is our message? Don't deny this. Accept it and have a have a have a, a community around us to hold us through it because the healing will happen. But it gets stored in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think there's two important resources that we should probably offer up to our listeners. Um, with that too. So um, the two books that uh, we would both recommend is the first one is The Body Keeps Score. And the second one is When the Body Says No. And both of them are incredible resources for just beginning to understand what this looks like and feels like in our bodies. And for me, I'm always saying, you know, awareness is step one. We just need to start to learn and be a little bit aware. And then once we're aware, we start to connect, right? So, um, you know, it's it's that it's that mind then into the heart level kind of thing. So um, reading a book about this is a really great way to start to understand uh, what what trauma is, uh, how it's stored in our body, and uh, that it doesn't actually have to control our lives either, that it can be a really beautiful thing. It can be a really remarkable thing. It can create the most incredible uh, experiences in your life when you work through your trauma and you reconnect and deepen your connection to who you truly are. And that really is the authentic journey. So I think which is what you allowed that experience in Boston to be. Yeah. And I have another experience, but I think we'll leave it until the next time. Yeah. Uh, with my own experience that happened to me this week while I was boxing. And uh, so I don't want to diminish your story and we'll get to it next time. But uh, this journey will continue. This is, folks, it's not a destination. It's a method of travel. It's a journey. It's it's you know, it's not an end point. And uh, let's just continue on as we enrich each other's lives and what we hope will enrich you, your life as uh, the listeners to this podcast. I would also say that on, uh, if you wanted to connect with us uh, live on December 9th, David and I are doing a uh, complimentary live streaming virtual webinar um, on caring is everything and the authentic leadership journey. So uh, if you'd like to join us, the link to that is in our notes on the podcast. We'd love to have you there. Uh, It'd be great to share with you and inspire you as we move into the holiday season.
Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of The Other Everest. It's our mission to continue to bring you engaging, heartwarming, and inspiring content. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please feel free to visit davidirvin.com at any time, as we would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it or subscribe or simply share the episodes with people you know who would also enjoy this conversation. Authentic leaders create ripples in time. Those ripples extend to generations yet unborn. And it's not just impact in the here and now, but impact in here and forever. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this journey with us. Until we meet again.